Hi, welcome to recoverychip.com's AA Book Study Podcast. This is our second episode ever, so forgive me if it's a bit rocky, but we're just going to give it a shot and try and give you the best podcast we can. So what we're going to do today is take the next chapter in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. It's called The Doctor's Opinion. It happens to be my favorite chapter in the book, and I'll tell you why in just a bit. But before I do, I just want to let you know that we're reading from the version of this chapter from the version of the book Alcoholics Anonymous at http colon slash slash anonpress.org forward slash bb. That is a version of the book Alcoholics Anonymous that you can find online where you can copy and paste the text. So it's super helpful dealing with sponsees, friends, anybody that you're sharing things with. And also I like to tell you where I'm reading from in case any of the, um, any changes in the book have been made, for example, since the first edition to the fourth or whatever. So anyway, uh, again, anonpress, A-N-O-N-P-R-E-S-S dot org forward slash BB is where you can get a version of the big book that you can actually copy paste. And so I'm going to read from that. And then I'm just going to give you some commentary on it. But before I get into it, the reason why the doctor's opinion is my favorite chapter is because for some, some way, I was sober from about 17 to age 26, read this chapter, I'm sure a million times in meetings, and I couldn't tell you what the heck it said. I honestly couldn't. And and much to probably not your surprise, somewhere around 26, I, I started to question whether I was a real alcoholic. And I went out and drank, and I drank for another 15 years. Now, when I came back after that, I was a real alcoholic. And by real alcoholic, I mean that I I was the alcoholic they describe in the chapter, The Doctor's Opinion. Um, prior to that, I mean, I got sober pretty early. I... I was an alcoholic. I did some other stuff too, but um, I hadn't gotten to the point where I, let's say, had some of the physical side of of the disease. And so, you know, a lot of it was was kind of a a mental addiction, if you will, and that I was taking pretty much everything. And so when I got into AA pretty early, um, I, I probably would say that I stayed sober on the fellowship from 17 to 26. And, you know, cause I did about half the steps, got about half of the output. So uh, when I came back after being rung through the ringer and, and to the point where I had no choice, um, that was about 15 years later, by then I was a real alcoholic. I mean, I couldn't stay sober for more than five days. I would be very uncomfortable if I couldn't take a drink, or, or more importantly, I would I would be more uncomfortable if I took one drink uh, and then had to stop. It, it wasn't so much if I couldn't take any drinks; uh, it was just if I if I took any alcohol in me and then had to stop, I would become very uncomfortable. My chest would tighten up. I would just be just just tense and and trying to figure out how to get another drink, whatever. And and the same even when I was drinking, if I if I was in a bar or whatever. And I was on drink two. I was searching for the bartender because I wanted to order three and four, and I didn't want to have anything interfere with my ability to get the next one and the next one and the next one. The doctor's opinion explains why that is. It explains why I am always searching for that next drink. It explains why if I was going to my parents' house and I knew I couldn't drink properly, um, I wouldn't even have that first drink because I would be so uncomfortable when I was there that I... Um, I wouldn't. Be, I couldn't wait to get home to be able to drink normally, uh, per my standards. So basically, I just wouldn't drink when I was there because I knew that it would put me in a position of, of that uncomfortableness, which the doctor's opinion explains. So by the time I came back to AA and then read the doctor's opinion and had my sponsor go through it with me, I had the allergy. I had the allergy that it talks about, and it made so much sense to me why 
um, not, not so much why I, I couldn't stay stopped, but um, why when I took that first drink, I either didn't want to stop there because of that uncomfortable feeling or that um, I, I, I would lose control. So with that being said, here's the doctor's opinion. And I'll, I'll go through it and then I'll, at the end, kind of pull out some important parts that, that I've seen. So the doctor's opinion, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book. Convincing testimony must surely come from medical men who have had experience with the sufferings of our members and have witnessed our return to health. A well-known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent hospital specializing in alcoholic and drug addiction, gave Alcoholics Anonymous this letter. That's Dr. Silkworth. To whom it may concern, I have specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. In late 1934, I attended a patient who, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. In the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. As part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise still with others. This has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families. This men and over 100 others appear to have recovered. I personally know scores of cases who were of the type with whom other methods had failed completely. These facts appear to be of extreme medical importance because of the extraordinary possibilities of rapidly, rapid growth inherent in this group. They may mark a new epoch in the annals of alcoholism. These men may well have a remedy for thousands of such situations. You may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. Very truly yours, William D. Silkworth, MD. So he was seeing men that had come in who despite his best efforts, could not stay sober. They could not stop drinking. They could not control their drinking. And then, you know, one comes back and, and, and appears sober and asked to work with other alcoholics and present the, the program that they went through, which worked for them. And then the doctor was seeing how that was working with others and how the fact of working with others was keeping the original gentleman sober as well. So the physician who, at our request, gave us this letter has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe, and this is key, that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality or were outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us, but we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may of course mean little, but as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his exclamation makes good sense explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Through, though we work out our solution in the spiritual as well as the altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. The doctor writes, the subject presented in this book 
seems to me to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. I say this after many years experience as a medical doctor or medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. There was, therefore, a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such masterly details in these pages. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. What with our ultra-modern standard, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in this hospital, and while here, he had acquired some ideas which he put into practical application at once. Later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here, and with some misgiving, we consented. The cases we have followed through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive, and their community spirit is still indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. We believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, they're reliant upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. I'm just going to stop here because I wanted to touch back on this allergy part because this is the part that made the sense to me when I came back. Uh, it explains to me why my wife can have a glass of wine and maybe not like the taste or it wasn't what she wanted and she just goes and dumps it out. Or maybe she has a couple of glasses of wine and at the end of the night before bed, whatever's left in the glass, she dumps out doesn't make a difference to her. I would never do that. It wouldn't enter into my brain to do that. But more importantly, I would never have one glass of wine. Uh, it explains why, no matter what, every time I tried any kind of controlled drinking, I failed. Or if I didn't fail, I made myself very uncomfortable. And it's kind of like if I was allergic to strawberries, and every time I have strawberries, I break out in hives, it explains why I will, I will have that happen every time I eat the strawberries, and there's nothing that can change that. It just is what it is. And for me, when I looked at this as an allergy, if I'm allergic to alcohol, and if the manifestation of the allergy is that I crave more alcohol, then the, the, the cure there is just to not drink the alcohol. The problem, as we'll discuss in future chapters, is that it's not that simple with alcoholics. Even if we understand that we just can't drink the alcohol, we will drink the alcohol. <laughs> we'll find a way to talk ourselves into it. Um, but that being said, and we're not there yet, 
the the fact of the matter is that an alcoholic, a real alcoholic, not just a hard drinker, but a real alcoholic, their body is somehow changed or somehow is different from the non-alcoholic such that when they drink alcohol, they trigger the allergy, which like the strawberries, instead of hives, we get a craving. And what that means is that we either want more and more and more, and if we have the means, we'll just satisfy it by drinking more and more, or we will be very uncomfortable having, for some reason, not being able to have that, that more and more and more. So the important thing to pull out of here is that there's a physical side, and the physical side is that allergy concept. Once I got the allergy concept, this, um, this problem I had in a, long, in a lot of ways made a lot of sense, and, and I, I was able to drop the whole, like, poor me, I can't drink stuff, because it's, just, it's kind of like being allergic to something. You just kind of go, well, it is what it is, and you deal with it. So for me, it kind of helped me cross a bridge to where I could proceed with the rest of the program without really having the misgivings I might have had when I was younger and, and didn't understand this. So here we go. Um, Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideas must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. So that just quick uh, kind of kind of gives a preview into what our solution is going to be in future chapters. If any feel that as psychiatrists directing a hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental, let them stand with us a while on the firing line, see the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children, let solving of these problems become a part of their daily work and even of their sleeping moments, and the most cynical will not wonder that we have accepted and encouraged this movement. We feel after many years of experience that we have found nothing which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men than the altruistic movement now growing upon among them. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Sensation is so elusive that while they might admit it's injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. And, and this is, again, the allergy part. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can, again, experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over unless this person can experience an entire psychic change. There's little hope of their recovery. So this kind of lays out the two-part situation. You know, you have the phenomenon of craving, which means when you take a drink, you will kick in that craving. You will inevitably be taking more drinks or becoming very uncomfortable. The other part is the mental obsession, which we'll get into in future chapters, where basically if you say, I'm not going to drink, I understand it, I'm just not going to do it, um, there's a good chance we'll obsess about it um, or just talk ourselves into it, um, have, have just a, a, a weird thought that is completely insane that somehow this time it'll be different. And once that first drink goes in, that's when the allergy is triggered and we're off to the races. All right. So... Um, on the other hand, strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic, psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself able to easily control his desire for alcohol. 
the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules, going through the 12 steps. Men have cried out to me in sincere, despairing appeal, Doctor, I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You must help me. Faced with this problem, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. Although he gives all that is in him, it is often not enough. One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change, which also we call the spiritual experience. Through the aggregate of recoveries resulting from psychiatric effort is considerable, we physicians must admit that we have made little impression upon the problem as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal which was to be settled on a certain date, favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult, and in some much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are, of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We are all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over-remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. There is the type of man who is unwilling to admit he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There's the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There is the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Then there are those types entirely normal in every respect except for the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. All these and many others have one symptom in common. This is the allergy. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been, by any treatment with, with which we're familiar, permanently eradicated, much like most allergies. The only relief we can suggest is entire abstinence. What this immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that the most chronic alcoholics are doomed. What is the solution? Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. About one year prior to this experience, a man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism. He had but partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a case of psychological, pathological mental deterioration. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain damage. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. One year later, he called me and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and partly recognized his features, but there all resemblance ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. I talked with him for some time but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. 
to me he was a stranger and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. When I need a mental uplift, I often think of another case brought in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis and deciding his situation hopeless, had hidden in a deserted barn determined to die. He was rescued by a searching party and in desperate condition brought to me. Following his physical habilitation, he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated that he thought the treatment was a waste of effort unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the, quote, willpower, quote, to resist the impulse to drink. His alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great that we felt not only hope would be through what we then called moral psychology, and we doubted if even that would have any effect. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then, and he is a finest specimen of manhead as one could wish to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through, and though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. William D. Silkworth. So the, the key for me in this chapter is just that it, it, it helped me understand why it is that every time I try to do the controlled drinking, it just didn't work. Or more importantly, why when I took a drink and then stopped, I would feel so uncomfortable. I would just be so tense and tight. Um, and as soon as I had that drink, I would feel my body relax. And, um, you know, this just made this just made sense. It just, it's what clicked. It's when the light went on for me. And so that kind of opened me up to be able to do the rest of the program because I understood at least that physical part of my problem, which means that I'm not going to change. You know, the mental stuff comes and goes and people have good days, bad days, whatever. But the physical, no matter what happens, I'm going to be an alcoholic. And if alcoholic means I'm allergic to alcohol and the manifestation of my allergy is that I crave more when I drink it, I have one choice and that is to not drink it. Same with the strawberries. If I break out with hives when I eat strawberries, I can't eat strawberries. So for me, that just made a lot of sense. It's what made it click again, I, I say. Um, and it's what kind of helped me cross like a mental Rubicon and accept the rest of this program and, uh, and re remove any misgivings I had. So again, you can find this at anonpress.org slash BB. It's the doctor's opinion. And I appreciate your time today. I hope this has been entertaining. And uh, thanks and have a great day.